Welcome one and all, this is the podcast mercenary, the mic for hire, Christian Jabal Ramos back at it again with a brand new review and this time I'm digging deep. This has been weeks of waiting, uh, weeks of kind of going against the social media norms essentially, trying to avoid spoilers. This is finally it, the review of episode 9 of Star Wars, The Rise of the Skywalker. Now... Usually when I do a TV review, I have plenty of notes, like ready on deck and everything, right? The big problem is with movies is you can't really take notes in the theater. So I had to kind of like get cliff notes from Wikipedia just to give me an idea of how to follow this thing through story-wise. So bear with me if I miss certain details in a three-hour-long movie. It's bound to happen. This movie was so, so lit. It was crazy how so much happened that I just am trying to absorb it all, so... Bear with me, okay? So, we start off with uh, a following a threat from the Revenge of the Revive Emperor's uh, Palpatine's uh, regime, I guess you can call it, right? It is shown in the beginning of the film that a zombified version of Palpatine exists in this world now. Now, it is never directly explained how he's alive and what's keeping him alive. They don't really cover that. They kind of just assume that you're just watching this because it's a movie. They're not trying to explain the movie while you're viewing it. This is one thing people got to understand about these kind of movies. These kind of details are kind of things you kind of have to like, uh, dig up after the fact. Or if you are a fan of the prequel trilogy, which is such a beloved trilogy, of course, right? Everyone loves the prequels. There's a scene in the second film where Palpatine says the dark side can keep you alive and almost uh, immortal. And at what cost? Because this version of immortality, you pretty much are a zombified, you know, ghoul of yourself. You're not really you. No uh, life behind the pupils. You, your fingers are still, his fingers are all rotted. He looks like a corpse living. He's not even living, living. So much so that this whole film revolves around the exchanges of vessels, one should say, right? So, um, following the threat of the Emperor Palpatine's uh, regime, Kylo Ren obtains a Sith Wayfinder. Now, the Sith Wayfinders, they, literally what they explain it is a compass to find the secret planet that the Sith are living on, which is like their home base, like their actual headquarters, called Exegol. And Exegol, I thought was going to be like a Mustafar, like, planet where it's lava everywhere but no it's not as it's menacing but in a different kind of way it's more like a thunderous black cloud of a planet where it looks very lifeless and almost like a tomb you would see in mortal Kombat. not exactly anything like inviting i should say for anyone to want to go visit but it's nearly impossible to find it without this wayfinder because the coordinates are so hidden that it's like even luke who spent most of his adult life trying to find this place to end it all finally uh was having a hard time finding it. So once Kylo arrives at Exegol, he's confronted by the uh, Sith Emperor Palpatine, and he pretty much tells him that Snoke was a puppet that was going to lure him to the dark side and control the First Order because he was behind this whole thing from the get-go. Now, this is where it gets interesting. This is the J.J. version of this film. This is not the Ryan Johnson treatment, but then again, who's at fault for this? The fan base, the producers back at uh, LucasArts, Disney, it doesn't matter because this is what we're getting. So deal with it, and this is what we have. I am tired of entitled fans complaining about every little aspect of a movie they had no part in creating. 
I'm sorry to say, this might piss off a lot of the Star Wars fan base, but movie making is not easy. Pleasing everyone is impossible. And if you didn't like the second movie, that is perfectly fine. You have your opinions. You can hate it. You can talk all the trash you want about it. That is perfectly great. So back to the story building here. Back to uh, where we're coming from. So we have a part where uh, Palpatine unveils a secret armada of Star Destroyers and tells Kylo to find and kill Rey, who is continuing her Jedi journey at the moment. Under the Resistance leader, your uh, former Princess Leia Organa. Apparently at this point, or, uh, it is established that Leia has some knowledge of the Force. We've seen that in the second movie, but also she added elements to it, of course. And um, here we find Finn and Poe delivering intel from a... spy that Palpatine has on Exegol. Rey has learned from Luke's notes that a Sith Wayfinder can be led them there. Rey, Finn and Poe, Chewbacca, BB-8, and CB-3PO depart in the Millennium Falcon to Pasana, where Luke's search for Exegol ended. So they're coming back to the point where Luke's kind of like dead and trail left them. Because for years he's trying to find Exegol to take down the Sith once and for all. And not not to his knowledge, Palpatine survived, which I kind of am not surprised because Darth Maul survived his fall. I mean, now what does that mean? Mace Windu's fall? Uh, did he survive that? I kind of believe Mace Windu didn't die, especially with flying cars everywhere. He could have just landed in one of those vehicles hung by there, one-armed or not. And it would have been a possibility. Yes, I believe it's possible. That is for certain. Because when a character dies off screen, he dies or she dies off screen. We don't know what really, there's no evidence of death. This is one of those old um, story building plot points where you can bring back a character in the future if you need to for some reason. Because you're running out of ideas. And, you know, maybe they could bring back Mace Windu. How old did a Mace Windu be at this point? Would he be like 90? Not necessarily. You know, yeah, yeah, he'd be, no, he'd be dead by age. He's human. He'd probably, yeah. Never mind. Forget the whole Mace Windu theory. Not important. But you know what I mean. I was trying to make an example here. So, on Basana, the group encounter Lando. They are at a festival that happens once every 40 some odd years. It looks like a pretty festival outside. There's a lot of smoke bomb things going off in the air, different colors. Big crowd in the desert. And everyone's there, like families are just having fun. And they go through and they're like, let's be low-key because there could be some First Order troops here in this sector and just hang out, right? So they go through and they get sought out and they find themselves in a cornered by the uh, First Order troops and fall somewhere. And then that's when they escape and find Lando Carizian, who is on this tank thing where he's kind of wearing disguise. And he tells the troops, I mean the troops, yeah, they are troops as well. He tells the uh, Resistance guys, hey... I kind of know where the last location of the Wayfinder is that Luke was looking for, so I can take it there, so hang on tight. And this is the part of the movie where Kylo, right, he uh, knows about Rey's whereabouts currently 
because of their force bond from the previous movie that's established here. Force bond is so strong because the force is so strong within them both that they're able to telepathically communicate with each other, which is something uh, not seen in a while. It's like something very like over the top, you know, just not what I expected. It's uh, pretty cool, like to be that force sensitive, you can sense other beings in distant galaxies or planets. Which is pretty wild to think about how strong their power levels can be, right? Okay, so this is where they learn where to find them. So now the guys are running away. They're trying to find where to hide from resistance soldiers. Thankfully, they found Lando with ease, and he's able to help them find the place where they got to go. Ray and the others then discover the remains of a Jedi hunter inside of a tunnel they fell into quicksand some sort of like metallic quicksand they thought they were gonna die so this is the part where finn is just like yelling ray i forgot to tell you this and that's when you know the cliche forgot to say something before you fall to your death now they didn't theoretically fall to their deaths if it was regular quicksand yes but this quicksand was metallic quicksand and it led them into some cavern and a cavern with a lot of tunnels now they're scared, like, what created these tunnels? It wasn't exactly erosion. So they're all a little paranoid as they see and find the remains of an old Sith Lord or Sith leader, something Sith. And uh, they find out, oh, like, a, a speeder and, you know, all that jazz. It was a Jedi hunter named Ochi. His ship and a dagger that had the inscriptions of where the Sith's uh, text to lead him to that planet right was there they finally found it and it had to take them getting sucked into quicksand to find it with cpo's programming it forbids him from interpreting the sif text it's like a safeguard like a firewall like his uh, operating system does not allowed this forbidden language to be translated he knows what it says but he cannot translate it because of well these firewalls within his brain or you know, circuits, whatever you want to say. But you know what I mean. So sensing that Kylo's nearby, Rey goes to confront him by herself. So she thinks. Right behind her is Finn, Chewbacca, Poe, all of them. They're just slowly behind her, trying to find her as she speeds off on her own. But, you know, they, this is great where we see a team-building thing here. It's that they're not like loners by nature. They all, I mean, Ray is because she grew up an orphan, but like most of these guys have this team atmosphere because they all came from some sort of team. So at this point, right, the First Order finally catches the the ship, the Millennium Falcon. Chewie is with chains all over his neck and hands because he has a dagger. They've caught Chewie. So they, they, they definitely slipped through the fingers. So Ray attempting to save Chewbacca accidentally. She uses her force powers to the level there were to the ship that went away to like force it down on the land. But who's there as well? Kylo Ren, kind of competing with her, like arm wrestling. Both wanted to push and pull at this thing. And there's a point where part of me is like, "Wow, I can't believe this actually is going to happen." Right? It's just hilarious that uh, these people really uh, are pushing it. So. At this very moment,
Chewbacca's in, with the dagger in hand, attempting to save Chewie, right? Accidentally uses Force Lightning. We've never seen a Jedi use Force Lightning. Force Lightning is a dark Jedi move. It is a Sith move. And it even catches Ray off guard because it blows up the ship where Chewbacca was located, thus killing Chewbacca and anyone else was captured. And she feels a load of guilt. Finn is just crying like, oh my God. Because, you know, she accidentally killed her best friend. So presuming that Chewbacca died. Because in the world of Star Wars, if you don't see an actual death happen, anything could happen. Or in film in general. So they take Ochi's uh, ship, the old ship that he had buried under there, and escape. So Poe at this point, he's just thinking they're there like like a war council. Like, what are we going to do? What's the next thing we do? Like, we're grieving Chewbacca, but at the same time, we've got to figure out our next course of action. So Poe suggests traveling to Kimji to um, have the Sif text extracted from CPO's memory. But CPO was against this because he told them, oh, if you extract my memory, only way we can do it is if, if you reboot my system, but I will forget all my memories. And then they're like, oh, that's no big deal. R2-D2 has all your memories backed up in case. And he's like, no, you understand, like R2's memory banks is kind of like, Pretty much the thing he doesn't rely on it. He doesn't trust it. He's like, yeah, his memory banks is trash. No. So, C-3PO makes the uh, heroic act of sacrificing his memories of all these years from the original saga, the, the prequel saga, to the modern age, where he's like, I want to take a last good look at look right now. Of what? Friends. And then you're like, kind of choke up like, <laughs> you know, because his memory bank is going to be like a computer, wiped out clean. So it can decipher this Sith location. And they do so with the help of Baba Frick? Booba Frick? Booba Frick. He's like this little gremlin looking guy with goggles and everyone loves him because he's awesome. He's just like the best character of this whole... Like, I love him like people love the Porgs in the last movie. Babu Frick is like this engineer slash computer codebreaker who's literally the size of a gerbil or maybe the size of a guinea pig. I don't know. The size of some rodent. He's not that large at all, but he can get into memory banks of any computer, any circuit board of a computer, and like, you know, work on it like an engineer whiz that he is. And the only one who can really understand him is one of their friends, who is an old colleague of uh, Poe's and uh, maybe a love interest, because they meet her on the planet. But as they're on the planet, there's like a parole of Sif um, troopers just looking for them, like it's, you know, like it's a martial law, so everyone's trying to hide, and then luckily their friend found them. But this is when her and Ray meet up. They have a slight altercation, almost like a stalemate. Like, oh, hold on, we're not trying to hurt each other, we're trying to help each other. And she's like, I respect that. So it was all because Poe left his crew. He was a spice runner. Never even talked about this past before. Now we know he was a spice runner. And they're like, Poe, you were a spice runner? He's like, listen, that was my past life. Because Poe is such a, like, Goody two shoes. Even though he's a rebel, for sure, he has this code of conduct where he's like a really good guy. No one suspects him of being a scoundrel. He's the last person you suspect the scoundrel type. He's just a guy fighting for the rebellion who had a very um, regular military background. But I guess at one point he was a smuggler just to make ends meet, which is understandable in this you know weird uh, economic crisis they're going through in the universe when two different regimes are taking over each other back and forth in the last thirty years. So. They get there and they, uh,
they have to infiltrate a, uh, a Star Destroyer. That's right. One of the many, many of many, the fleet of Star Destroyers. Because Ray sensed that Chewbacca was alive. And this gave everyone a sigh of relief. Because apparently there's a second ship, and that's where Chewbacca was. The first ship was just stormtroopers, and that was it. So this so-called death didn't happen. I kind of saw, I kind of saw it coming. It was kind of a very anticlimactic death. I don't think they would kill Chewbacca this way. He's a hero should have died at a hero's death. This is not it, Chief. It has to be a little bit more of a finesse to it, right? So Ray senses Chewbacca's alive, and the group mount mount to a mission to rescue him. Kylo searches Ray, and the group are in there, and uh, she's in his quarters. She's in Kylo's main quarters. So with the help of Poe's friend, Zori Bliss, an acquaintance, let's just do that in hyphens of Poe, right? They recover the dagger, and then she touches it has visions of her parents being killed with it. Kylo informs her everything she needs to know. She knows the truth. He knows that she knows the truth. She knows the truth and she's holding it back because she doesn't want to believe it. And the truth is, wait for it, Ray's grandfather is none other than Palpatine himself. Her parents are literally nobodies, just regular commoners. They weren't Force-sensitive. They were just regular people. But because Palpatine knew that his granddaughter was Force-sensitive, she wanted him to train her. Because at first, people thought it was a killer. But no, he wanted her on his side because he knew she would be the rightful successor to his power. And as we've seen from Rey's uh, acts of strong Force-sensibilities, it's correct. Which is wild to me because I would never suspect Rey of being... Actually, no, I'm not going to lie to you. From the second movie, there were so many theories. One of them definitely was this. I literally thought Ray was Palpatine's granddaughter. And it was right in the butt. So here's the thing. With the Ryan Johnson thing and this whole theories upon theories, someone's going to guess the real truth of Ray's life. I know Ryan Johnson had a thing about not showing it. I don't know why. But he definitely left us hanging because we want to know everything. And he was just holding back. He gave us more Questions and answers. And that's what pissed off a lot of people. Because they didn't answer certain things. The only one thing that pissed me off was this whole time we're trying to find out Ray's origin. By the second film, I wanted to know all this information. It almost felt like this movie kind of rushed the beginning just to get to the end. And again, this is J.J. Abrams' thing of adding elements that we're not sure needed fixing or not. But this one definitely did. Because by the climax, we should have known this. This should have been the Luke, I am your father moment, you know? You save that for the climax, the middle of the film. Yeah, at the end, we should already know this information. That's probably why a lot of people were pissed. Because if they... No one believes somebody who was never trained by Jedis like, could be this powerful without a reason behind it. Not any commoner can just become a Jedi that powerful. And I knew it wasn't this case. I knew that she was like some sort of Jason Bourne character. But they never explained it in the second film. They really alluded to her just being... A rando who happens to be OP as hell because she was just trained by Luke, but she happened to have a higher power level. I knew there had to be more to this. They just had to be because she remembers the Jedi training, but never confirmed it until, you know, you really listen to the film a second time around and really dissect what Luke was saying. Luke knows she was a former student, but 
he was apprehensive about giving any information. And this is why he was. Because he was afraid she would have turned to the dark side, just like her grandfather, and become the next biggest threat out there. So I get why she was abandoned by her parents, because they wanted to keep her away from Palpatine's grasp and from him turning her into the next Dark Lord, like it did with Ben Solo, who is now Kylo Ren. So... It all makes sense, but some of this should have been explained in The Last Jedi, which is where a lot of people had beefs with, and I understand thoroughly why. I know there's a lot of nerd rage online, and I'm indecisive about it. I don't want to downplay people's aggressions with the film, but we really were waiting for the second movie to give us way more information than we were given. And I'm, you know, I kind of like that it was a lot of uh, wild goose chases and uh, red herrings, but sometimes... When it comes to these kind of movies, you kind of have to give a little bit more information. And when you give more questions and answers, it creates a lot of fan theories. So I totally understand where all the geeks online were complaining about the film. I thoroughly understand why everybody hated this, hated that. You felt like you were ripped off. You definitely felt like the movie of elements of SJW propaganda, which I totally understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, you have to understand that sometimes... You can just have a movie that just has bad direction. And this film series, this specific trilogy, had zero direction. It was pretty much told that every director would bring their own spin to it. That's the thing. It's like, I think the end game was always the same. It's just the way to get in there wasn't. So had Ryan Johnson's film been more clinically, uh, cl uh, critically acclaimed or whatnot, and people would have loved it unanimously, they would have kept his path going. And who would have seen an alternate version? And I know no one's screaming for the Ryan Johnson cut. I get it. I totally get it. But the man's not a bad director. He's made some good films ever since then. He was just wanting to take some risk because the audience was asking for taking more risks. And he did so. And it kind of blew up in his face. You know, like the poor guy got roasted online and luckily he has thick skin. He didn't get too bothered by it. He just kind of like brushed off the fan base and kind of gave answers to people in comment section on Twitter, but the thing is, you should have answered this in your own film. You should have not given us so much to dissect at this point because I know those Star Wars fan base will dissect everything and anything at this point, no matter how good or bad it is. That's just how society is for every fan base. But for some reason, only Star Wars fans are able to kick actors out of freaking Twitter. Like, bullying actors to the point where they feel like they're suicidal. Remember Jar Jar Binks? The actor who played Jar Jar Binks? That guy was on Suicide Watch. That's crazy to me. That people literally harass. And that was before social media. So I could imagine him back in the social media. If social media was back then, or 2000s, good Lord, it would have been an ugly scenario. Like, I feel like we have such a soapbox, a privilege that is soapbox, where we can vent our frustrations directly to people. Like, before you get to send fan mail to send hate mail. Now all you gotta do is send a tweet. It takes two seconds to do like, before to reach a celebrity, you had to go through a lot of different passageways of finding their, uh, you know, P.O. box or their uh, special celebrity emails. Where they get the, the fan mail stuff, old school 90s, 80s, how they did it back in the days. And now it's very simple to just give hate. They could read a thousand great comp compliments and one negative review from somebody completely demolishing them can really mess with them. Because people got to understand these are people, you know, they're trying to find work. They're just trying to do what they're told. The actors do not control the script. I hope you all know this, right? Actors are vessels. They're the products of the directors. 
And even Ryan Johnson said himself, I'll take all the blame for this movie because I was trying to be, you know, out da- daring and out there and try something different. I'll take all the heat. I mean, the poor girl that played Rose. Man, in this third film, I kind of wish she was more pre- predominant, but she filled the role enough. They kind of judged our Binks her as well. With the last movie, Jar Jar Binks became a council member. You barely saw the adventures. Same thing they did with Rose. Like she just kind of became part of the uh, resistance and just chilled out back. She had a couple lines here and there, but her presence wasn't like, oh, we're adding a new character. And no, there was another female character they added, which I'll get to eventually. But I'm just letting you guys know, like, treat people with compassion. Like if you really have anything negative to say to somebody, make sure you say it how you would say to them in person. I don't think a lot of people online would dare say some of the stuff they say online to people. If I was a celebrity and someone said terrible things to me, I can brush it off. But I grew up in the 90s. I grew up in an era where you couldn't afford to be soft. I grew up in an era where, like, Xbox Live was just wild. You know what I'm saying? Like, you would hear a lot of slurring and yelling and bantering. And I grew up in an era where bullying wasn't, you know, there were campaigns for anti-bullying. But at the same time, I don't know how it feels to somebody that dissect my craft. I mean, I'm an artist. I took critiques very well in school. But... Some people I know didn't. And it's okay. They're putting all their passion and work into love into something. And if they would love to be actors and do their roles, they're going to take this stuff seriously. So guys, criticism is cool, but just don't be mean about it. Let's be human beings, compassionate human beings. Because at the end of the day, we're all people. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. We're all coming from a place of good. I hope we are. And if all the bad stuff happened in the world, negative comments like that, that just take people like to quit their social media altogether it's just it's just uncalled for so you know be better be better people and now back on topic so we're here upon the point where the group arrives at kef beer where ray locates the wayfinder on the remains of the second death star the one that got broken to pieces it's like in a river lake or some sort of uh maybe an ocean let's put it that way because the waves are crashing crazy high like if you're like in a in a shipwreck and a storm hits, that's how high these waves are. They're like, you know what? I don't think we're going to cross this. And Ray's like, you bet we're going to cross this. You guys can just chill in the back. I'll go get it. Because she is dominant getting this thing over with. Bet they're greeted by a group. They don't know if they're enemies or not, but they're, they're ready. And that's where they find this group with a couple characters. We find out they're not hostiles. They're actually friendlies. Uh, just like Finn, these are former uh, troopers who have converted to a... Uh, to fight the resistance uh, Finn thought he was the only one but apparently Janna who's the leader of this squad said her whole like unit when they were going to kill that village completely dropped their guns and left they just did not they all unanimously agreed it wasn't even like talked about they're like this is wrong and inhumane like we're not going to do this so right away Finn loves this person like this character is like I get her there's more like me I'm glad I'm not the only stormtrooper that actually has a heart around here so luckily she says we'll help you guys out Bet these waves are dangerous. In the morning, it'll be calmer to just take a ship and just cross the waters. But of course, Ray being Ray, without her finishing, goes and surfs the damn waters. Like these high waves look like they could crash any like giant ship. And she gets on this like, you know, paddleboard thing and she's on her way in just because she needs to find that wayfinder so she can get this thing done. Like she's just, I'm ready to get this done. I've been through a lot people going through my mind my memories all this stuff and she's like that's it this is it so leia she's calling ben through the force now we've seen luke do this and what did it do it caused luke to perish in the previous film 
Leia thought this was the only way she could help Ben find himself, is using all her might and all the force she has to get to him. And it's during an epic fight between him and Rey, where they're on top of the ship, because she finds this place, she finds the Wayfinder, and it, just like in, uh, in uh, Return of the Jedi, when Luke's fighting a, a Darth Vader that shows him under the mask, she fights a similar Dark Ray, which is why we see all this Dark Ray stuff. Like, oh, is Ray turning bad? And then, no. This is just an image, a visual of, like, what she can see because of how dark this place is, how much Sith energy is. It gives illusions of what's not there. And she finds Kylo. They fight, and this is when Kylo finally becomes Ben. Leia gets through him. And Ray stabs him, nearly killing him. But, you know, her... Her being who she is of, of light side powers, right? Being a person of good heart and goodwill doesn't want him to perish. She wants him to see his wrong ways. So she heals him. And she goes off in his TIE fighter to go to that planet where the all the baddies live. So she's off. And then Kylo's there. And who shows up? None other than a, uh, a forced ghost, I can say? Or like some sort of memory of uh, Han Solo. Han Solo shows up. And he talks of Ben. He's like, listen, kind of like, I get where you're going through. I get how you felt when you did certain things, but, you know, you're still my son another day. And this kind of warms Kylo's heart, and he finally lets go of his hate and whatever it was that, you know, caused him to become evil. And Ben Solo finally shows up because Han Solo's like, you're no longer Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is dead. You are now officially back to being Ben Solo right your wrongs and you'll be always have your back and this father-son moment finally lets uh, Kylo know that no matter how much evil he thinks he is there always is some good in him and now it's like he's in a redemption arc and he goes off to follow Rey so upon the group's return to the resistance base R2 receives a signal from Rey the resistance follows Rey's coordinates to Exegol where she confronts Palpatine for the first time he demands she kill him to transfer her spi his spirit into her. And this is the crazy part because Leia literally sacrificed herself to get through her son and it worked. So now their leader, the resistance leader, is gone. They have no direction. They don't know what to do at this point, right? So you have essentially these generals of Finn and Poe who are taking the lead because they go back to the where the base is and Leia's not there. And they're like, grieving her death because she sacrificed herself. And then Chewie takes it very harshly. He, like, drops in his knees and screams, like, no, and Wookiee. He's definitely, like, feeling it, like, why do my friends keep dying? I don't know. Blame the writers. <laughs> they keep killing the OG characters off, but you know what? They're epic deaths. I'll give them that much. And, of course, we know R.I.P. in real life, Carrie Fisher died for real. So I don't know how much of this was actually, like, CGI or actually her in the film, but they pulled it off effortless, effortlessly and made it look great. And there was one scene where she died, but she was completely covered. And I think that might have been the scene where they could have had a body double. But uh, her daughter, played, who played one of the uh, Resistance uh, engineers, was there in a the shot. And um, we get a scene of Force flashback, actually, that Leia was fully Jedi trained uh, by Luke. Like, he was able to help her train, and in doing so, the, her lightsaber was available for Rey to use. So, 
before they headed off, she headed off to meet Palpatine. They went back to the Resistance base. She now has two lightsabers, Luke's and Leia's. And it's touching because she thought she wasn't ready to be a Jedi, but Leia and Luke both knew you have the power to do anything you want. You are more than ready. So she confronts Palpatine, right? He demands that she kill him. So the power transfers can confirm. Um, but then she says no. And that's when he's like, all right, then I guess I'll stay the Emperor and I'll just suck your power and revive myself. Which is what happens. He, Ben Solo comes to help and uh, doesn't help at all. If anything, he's sucking the life out of him like a succubus and becoming whole again. Like his rotted fingers are starting to be, you know, become actual fingers now. And there's uh, some color behind his eyes. And he's finally like forming, it's almost like a, like a draining of power, like just to revive his body. Like he's attached to some sort of harness and some sort of thing that kind of looks like uh, like an animus from the Assassin's Creed film, just keeping him alive probably, like a, some sort of like iron lung type thing. And uh, he is a badass. We forget how Palpatine was this powerful because he was taking him on both by himself. No lightsabers, just straight force powers. This guy's a grand... I don't want to say Grand Wizard. It's kind of the great wizard that he is. Um, yeah, and he's just there, sucking the life out of them. They're stuck. Meanwhile, in the air is a huge dogfight, and a lot of Poe's guys are getting taken down. And he's getting desperate, like, oh, man, we really have no one left. And even Palpatine uses this, like, force lightning to the point where he creates EMPs, and all the ships are crashing. Because the point of this is they gave Death Star-level blasters to each Star Destroyer. So they don't even need a Death Star. They got a million of them in these in these Star Destroyers because their cannons are so strong they can destroy whole planets, which is nuts. Completely and utter nuts. So you don't have to rely on one giant star. You can have a fleet of... This, this is it. This is how we make them crumble. But who comes through to save the day? None other than Lando Carrizian with Wookiee uh, Chewbacca on his side. So Chewie and Lando are back as teammates on their Millennium Falcon. And who do they bring? But half the universe. Literally people, just regular people who want to fight the resistance, who are scared, who are done being scared, and want to fight back and take down this giant regime. And they're there with a million ships. Like, finally. But of course, because of the EMPs, this is a, I'm throwing this out of constant, constant, uh, sequence. First is the people arrive, then they get shocked by the EMPs. But uh, pretty much it's like this giant dogfight with like the Star Destroyers and the you know, then Finn and Janna just hop off it. They're they're riding these horse alien type things because if they're in land speeders, they can be tracked easier. So they're like in stealth mode, trying to take down the from the below the Star Destroyers or the, where the antenna is. But then they find out the Palpatine. No, the General. Oh man, this is so. I'm all over the place. Sorry, because of General Hux. Hux was the bull the whole time. He actually gets killed because they find out he's a mole. Because they just know this guy can't. Story sounds too good to be true. He explains the reason is because he hates Kylo Ren and he wants to see him dead. Not because he actually wants to have the resistance. So he's still pretty evil. So the new general takes over, essentially control, and understands what they're trying to do with their plan. The plan fails because he transferred the power from the antenna to the whole fleet to his one Star Destroyer. So now they understand that this new general knows that they know, <laughs> confusing, that this antenna is useless. So now they're trying to refocus on what to do. And Poe's like, stay on ground and still aim. But this time, we're aiming at that one Star Destroyer. And gosh darn it, they get it done. And the general blows out of the windows like some sort of 80s villain. Just goes in a pit of fire. And I'm just loving it.
Now, this guy apparently has been there since the beginning. He was Palpatine's right-hand man since the get-go. So I'm talking about Grand Moff Tarkin days, like where it was the you know a new hope. This guy's been around forever. And then in the end, they finally take down this antenna of the ship, and the fleets fall, and then you know the universe is saved. Yay! Before that happens, right before we get to like a huge climax, Kylo gets tossed off a cliff, and before that. Ray uses her force powers of sensitivity to give him a lightsaber because he threw away his tri-saber in the previous scene where he kind of denounces Kylo Rendus. In doing so, he's kind of dumb and not just changed the kyber crystals in the same... Just change the kyber crystal. Why didn't you just change it? You could have just gotten a blue lightsaber with the tri... You know, I don't know. It's one of those like nitpick things where you're like, yeah, in the moment you want to toss your saber in the ocean because you're like, ah, screaming because you know you're seeing your dad again for the last time. But at the same time, it's like, you could have just changed a kyber crystal or even created a new saber before going off. Like, you really were going to fight your own uh, Knights of Ren with no with no weapons? Like, come on, man. Anything, even a freaking staff. Just something. Ben is kicking ass. He's there with, Ray, with Luke's lightsaber that Ray hands him via force, some sort of force transport, transportation thing. And he's off killing off all of Knights of Ren. And now I know why the Knights of Ren weren't in the second movies. Because they are trash compared to Kylo Ren. They get wrecked. Your leader is way stronger than you. And these characters are faceless anyways. They've always been in the shadows. But they've never been explained as people. This film did not showcase them as characters at all. And I'm kind of glad because here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with faceless characters in Star Wars. Because this creates canonical characters you can show in the TV series. And with the Disney Plus service, they're going to want all the canonical characters that can include backstories too. Kid Fisto, one of my favorite characters from the uh, just this prequel trilogy, had no lines in any of these films. But he was such an awesome character. He kicked butt in Clone Wars, and he had like a lot of great storylines that you would have never gotten to in the films. Hell, Carrie Russell was uh, Poe's uh, love interest character. She never showed her face, just her eyes. She was wearing this like weird helmet that only showed her eyes, apparently. And you'd have thought having Carrie Russell, you kind of want to show her whole face. Actually, my theory was Carrie Russell was Ray, Ray's mom. That was my whole thing. I thought she was going to be in a flashback shown, you know, getting killed off by still a Palpatine. I, I envisioned Palpatine killing off Carrie Russell. But no, she's a completely different character. And I kind of like that her character is kind of like faceless in a way. But she comes back, saves the day with Poe because she's one of the millions of people that help the planet, you know, fight against the uh, Star Destroyer fleet that uh, has risen from this like weird graveyard-like uh, planet. Because I feel like everyone on this planet is dead. They all feel like undead zombies. Like, they're only alive by hate. Except for the current, you know, um, First Order. Because this is the Final Order. So you got the First Order, who is like modern-day Stormtroopers, Hux, well, was Hux, uh, and all that crew, and Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren. The Final Order is the last trump card that... Uh, Palpatine has and it's again I think they're zombies this zombified army of the dead in these thousands upon thousands of star destroyers with death star level laser beams that can destroy planets with one go so you got a crazy fleet of OP weaponry and there's no way this group of uh, resistance fighters who are left from all the fighting they've done from the previous films can compete with such tenacity, but they do because they inspire the universe to fight back. Because they have nothing to lose. At this point, if they don't help fight back, they're going to lose everything. Every planet will be killed in one shot. So, news travels fast. Thank God for Lando. 
who comes through with his army. And thankfully, Ben Solo sees the errors of his ways, and he pretty much sacrificed himself to heal Ray, who was dying. He transferred his all his force powers, or force energy, all of his chakras, into Ray to, serve, to help her from getting killed. Because in killing uh, Emperor Palpatine, she kind of sacrificed herself, and she was a lifeless dead body. So he gives her life, and in doing so, he dies. This movie is good. I will say it was a good ending to a weird trilogy that had no direction. A weird trilogy that had a lot of great nostalgic features in the first film and a great nostalgic features in the end because that, those are the J.J. films. And I don't want to tear this trilogy apart. Was it the worst trilogy? I think not. I think these films are way better than the prequel movies and I grew up with the prequel movies. I was a kid. I was 11 years old when uh, Phantom Menace came out and I loved that movie as an 11-year-old kid. You want to know why? Because the Star Wars films have always been geared towards children. These are children's fantasy films. As a child, my first action figure that I could recall buying was a Lando Calrissian figure from uh, Return of the Jedi. And I love that figurine because his helmet came off. And this is how I found out about Star Wars, through this Lando Calrissian figure. Now, why specifically did Lando catch my attention? Because at this point, I've never seen a black action figure. Like, think about it. Granted, I knew about Luke because of uh, parodies. I knew about Han Solo. Han Solo was definitely one of my favorite characters. But for some reason, I really grew an attachment to the Lando Calrissian figure specifically. And this is before watching any of the films. So I'm like, this guy. There's just something about this guy that I kind of have to have as a cool action figure to start with. That one, I think I started with that. Made might have been like a stormtrooper, just a generic stormtrooper, because I needed a villain, and maybe a Luke. I couldn't find any Han Solo, so I think it might have been a Luke in the X-wing suit. Those are the first three figures I ever bought from the Star Wars action figure line at my local Bradley's. The store doesn't exist anymore, and that's when I fell in love with it because the figures look cool as hell. This looked like a cool genre of science fiction and, and fantasy. Star Wars. I said go for the toy aisles. I see a bunch of figures, alien monsters, human beings, but I see one, and this guy looks like my uncle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this guy literally looks like one of my uncles. And I'm like, you know what? I like this character. And through that, I went to the public library and discovered Star Wars because my parents allowed me to rent movies out. My local library had the whole Star Wars collection. And I watched it out of order because they weren't numbered at the time. So I watched Empire first before I saw New Hope. Then I did see uh, Return of the Jedi last, once I realized the order and how to see it. And I loved these films growing up. The originals were awesome. The prequels, when I was a child, they were awesome. Can I nitpick them now as an adult? Of course I can. Are there a lot of things I don't like about them? Of course there is. Am I going to complain about it nonstop? Of course not. You want to know why I'm not going to complain about it? Because from the words of Freddie Prinze Jr. himself, Luke Skywalker and Leia Skywalker are both pretty much Disney princes and princesses. This is a fantasy genre for children. If you want some deep science fiction films that really test uh, the laws of science and gravity and all this stuff, watch the Star Trek movie. So Star Trek movies are all based on science fiction. Star Wars movies have science fiction elements, but they're fantasy movies first. So they're not worried much about the science because the science of lasers, we all know lasers an infinite beam of light. So lightsabers could not exist because they would be infinite beams of light. 
So right out the gate, there's a suspense of disbelief with the Star Wars movies because they are not based on science per se. You're just setting in space. You could have literally made Star Wars in a Middle Earth type Lord of the Rings setting and it would have played out the exact same. Think about it. Knights, uh, wizards, this is all fantasy stuff. Like these are not strange topics. Yoda is just an ancient wizard who's the strongest of them all at the time. And this is like very Shakespearean too. Like this is very much just swashbuckling uh, stories of knights and princesses and princes and just set it in space. So I love the fact that these films were bought by the Disney Corporation because LucasArts, mind you, people want to nitpick everything Star Wars because it's so precious to them as they grew up. It was part of their childhood. I get it. The Disney merger wasn't terrible. Because I love The Mandalorian. Anyone else with me here? Mandalorian is amazing. And I cannot wait to see Deborah Cho's uh, series debut of the Obi-Wan series. Because if it's anything as good as The Mandalorian, which she directed two episodes, two of the amazing episodes on, I really hope that uh, they can keep this movement going and create more stuff because Star Wars is such a beloved franchise. And just like the Marvel films, between every Avenger movie, there's like 10 Marvel superhero films. So... Even though they've confirmed another trilogy down the road, I think the Disney Plus service is going to help them space these out a lot. Because it'll be great to see something like this, where it's like a series. And I like that the shows are working so far. I mean, it's one show, but this is Dave Filoni, the guy that made Clone Wars. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Rebels. My apologies. I was confused with two shows. And it was his live-action debut as a director, and it was a great series thus far. I like the first season, and I can't wait to see other shows just like it. So the Star Wars, like, love is still there. And I hope Brian Johnson succeeds and takes more risks in the future in films, too. Again, I liked his movie a lot. Was it vastly different than your average Star Wars flick? Yes. Were there plot hole errors? Yes. Listen, you can nitpick any movie at this level. If you really think about it, a lot of films have a lot of errors that people point out. But because it's not as beloved as Star Wars, they ignore these things. The Fast and Furious movies never get nitpicked. Why? Because we accept the outlandishness of it. But guess what? Those are fantasy movies too. Huh? huh? Oh, oh. Did I just like give you a uh, mind-blowing moment? Nothing in the Fast and Furious movies can logically make sense. Physics-wise and all this, all the other stuff. But no one bats an eye. Any of it. Because it is what it is. Star Wars is also fantasy. It's okay to have some things that don't make sense. Now, if your problem is script writing, that's a whole different ballgame. I completely understand. If you don't like someone's writing, if you don't like someone's lack of uh, attention to detail, that is perfectly fine. Nitpick that all you want. As a creative myself, I get it. Writing isn't easy. Writing is super hard. I mean, many scripts go through many phases. But remember, before you lash out at anyone, ask yourself, is it that serious? Can we just live and just enjoy what we like? Can we just all love Star Wars? I hope we could all just do that. I hope we could all say, hey, you know what? This might not be my favorite trilogy, but it tried to do things and try to be daring and just switch it up a little bit. But it wasn't the worst one yet. Can we say, hey, you know what? The prequels weren't the best Star Wars movies, but that's because I hold nostalgia with the original trilogy. And those who grew up before Star Wars, like this Star Wars stuff isn't for me, but... I get the love of it. You know what I mean? Like, someone understands and respects the medium. Like, people who were born pre-Star Wars that didn't really grow up with it don't care for it at all. Or people who didn't grow up with Star Wars, period, of any age, 
they get the fandom even if it's not for them because it's such a big name property such a big beloved piece of uh movie film cinema nostalgia uh, you know it's it's great it's a great fantasy series and i hope to see many more films shows and i hope the future holds well for disney and lucas arts to create more amazing projects i never get this movie review so to officially say my review uh, out of many hours of thinking this i don't want to oversell it i'm going to give this movie a 4.0 out of five four out of five fair enough it wasn't my favorite if i can pick and choose my favorite of the three I really love Force Awakens. I know a few of my friends who preferred Last Jedi, and that's great. Again, Last Jedi dragged for me. It definitely dragged. You could have erased a half an hour of that movie, and it would have still done the same effect. Just get rid of the casino scene altogether, which had no context of the storyline. Like That just was just for time, just to make a long movie for the sake of making a long movie. Like We don't see Benicio's character in this film. His character really had no... Uh, all this built up for nothing. And I know a lot of the issues some people had was they felt like the movie had a lot of SJW propaganda with the female characters seeming like like they were belittling all the male characters. And I didn't take it that way, but a lot of people did. And it's the polarizing aspect of the whole film and how they carried some of the characters, and that really hurt the series. Phasma. What the heck happened to Phasma? I completely forgot. There was no Phasma in this film. Did she like She really died off in the last movie then, huh? Just like that. A lot of unanswered questions because... The way a lot of these characters are kind of left were open-ended deaths. Open-ended deaths usually mean you don't really see them die, but they could survive something. As we've seen with Darth Maul, anything is possible. So you might even expect Phasma in a series someday. Did she really die or should he escape in time? We don't know. She had an off-screen death, so technically we don't know. She could come back in the future somewhere down the line. I love it when a movie does this. This is why this movie is good, because... It didn't retcon a lot of Ryan Johnson's uh, vision, but it definitely course-corrected what the original vision was. And this movie's a trilogy makes sense to me. Even with the polarizing uh, middle movie, I think this is a great trilogy. That could have been the, it could have been the best trilogy yet if they actually had a vision which to do with it without rushing or without... Just, you gotta have a, you got to have a framework what to work with. You can't just give too much free reign because if you do... It goes all over the place, just like I am with this review. Anyways, thank you for listening. This has been another CGR Media Reviews. This review of Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker. I give it a 4 out of 5 stars. I like the movie. I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. Well, thanks for tuning in and uh, hearing this whole review. As always, may the Force be with you.